I want to say, just full disclosure, as we continue our Christmas at the Movie series this morning, I want to be honest with you all with every sermon that I give in this series. Um, I may have just like tried to find a scene from Home Alone 2 to incorporate into this series because it is my absolute favorite Christmas movie that there is. Yes, it is better than Home Alone 1. It's funnier. The, the slapstick's better. I said it. Don't at me. It's better than the first one, all right? Um, it is, it is my absolute favorite. This was a monumental year in the McDonald residence as we allowed, maybe not the best parenting, but we allowed our uh, two oldest girls to watch Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Not all of it. We, we skipped some parts, but uh, it's, been a good, it's been a good season. I think they've watched Home Alone 2 about 500 times already, and I'm not complaining. It's awesome. Um, but, you know, as I was watching this scene, though, what kind of stuck out to me as Marv is just getting drilled with brick after brick is this kind of encapsulates 2020, doesn't it, a little bit? You know, like we're just laying there and these bricks just keep coming and they keep smacking us right in the face and there's like nothing we can do about it. And in 2020, meanwhile, it's just up at the top, just flinging them off the roof, you know, smiling at us. And it can feel that way a little bit, but not just in 2020, but life a lot can feel like get, just getting hit by a brick over and over and over again. And what I think is interesting is not just Marv getting drilled by these bricks, but Harry standing next to him, dodging these bricks and having basically no sympathy for Marv whatsoever. But by the end, he's literally kicking Marv and saying, get up, let's go. You know, and, and, and that can feel like us a lot where we're just laying on the ground, feeling like we've gotten drilled the world around us is dodging all these troubles and they don't care. They don't care. And we're just sitting there getting drilled over and over again by these bricks. And I want to read this verse to you that is so important to understand as we live out this year and the years to come. And it's out of the words of Jesus. And I say this verse in, in church a lot because I'm not sure it's something that we fully grasp. Even those of us that have been coming to church maybe our whole lives. And it's John 16, And it says this. This is out of Jesus' mouth. It says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will... Have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is telling us, he's guaranteeing us that we are going to have troubles and sorrows. But what happens when we start following Jesus is we all of a sudden believe that God is going to start using the honor system, right? Like we're all of a sudden back in kindergarten, and if I do all these things right, and I, and I obey all the rules, and I'm going to get my gold star at the end of the week, and I'm going to be able to reach into the treasure box and get my treat, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And so we receive Jesus, and we walk and say, all right, everything's good now. My life has changed. And then bricks start getting thrown at us. And we start wondering... Why is this happening? I turned my life over to Jesus. Life is supposed to be easy for me right now. And we, though we might not verbalize it in that direct of a way, that is how we think. And that is what is in our hearts. And so we get bitter and we get angry and we get confused. And a lot of times, sadly, a lot of believers, they quit. Because Jesus' methodology with us isn't living up to our expectation of what salvation is supposed to be in him. We're waiting for the gold star. We're waiting for the treasure box. And instead, we're getting bricks to the face. And so, knowing that Jesus himself guaranteed that we will have trouble and sorrow in this world, the question that I want to ask you all today, and that I want to ask myself, and us as a church, as a family, is 
how will you respond when the bricks start coming your way? How will you respond? And I want to give you a homework assignment. Those watching online this morning and those in this room, write on a sticky note somewhere, how will I respond? That's all you have to say. Put it on your fridge. Put it in your car. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Somewhere where you will see it frequently. How will I respond? Because how we respond to the bricks in our life, how we respond to the troubles and the sorrow will change everything. It determines so much. It determines the well-being of our heart, the well-being of our spirit and our soul and our physical nature. How we respond. Will we quit or will we press in? And we're gonna unfold that this morning by looking at someone in the Bible that had brick after brick after brick thrown to him. And how he responded says everything. We're gonna look at the story of Job this morning. And this is always like, oh, great. You know, it's, it's, okay, God, I'm gonna preach on this. Please don't like let me put into practice what I'm about to preach on, you know, because that happens. We come to church and immediately are tested like, God, you know, be careful. But it's so important. The, 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 the few little tidbits that we're going to take from his, his story are so important. And the, the book of Job is really, it's, it's an epic war. It's an epic war. But it's, a, it's not a war that is fought on the battlefield, but internally. It is, a, it is a battle of the inner life. The struggle to make sense of the struggles in our life. The struggle to, to ask these questions to God when the bricks start coming our way. And the main question that we ask, the struggle of Job, is why, God, why? Why? And we're going to examine that question. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have an answer. All right? But we're going to talk about how we, how we walk with that question of why, God, Why? Is this happening? And we're going to start it off right at the beginning of Job, chapter 1, verse 1. Read with me this morning. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. Let's just stop right there. Does that not sound like a children's book, you know, where you're going to open the pages and the pop-ups start, and it's nice and brightly colored, and it's going to be a really fun story, and whatever happens, it's going to be nice and great, and unicorns and rainbows and candy. There once was a man named Job who was from the land of Uz. You know, it even has this, like, timing thing to it which I think is very interesting. Because again, I think we start our walk with the Lord a lot like a children's book. There once was a man named James who turned his life over to Jesus, right? And then the pop-up open and everything is great. It's colorful and it's fun, all right? But it lasts one sentence with Job. It lasts one sentence. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless. Everyone say blameless. He was a man of complete Integrity. Say complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Okay, so by all accounts, Job was doing everything right. What does the Bible say very specifically? He was blameless. He had complete integrity, all right? So he was living a life that was, was, was of high regard, not only to the people around him, but to God. And he was also very rich. But here's the thing that we need to understand yet again. 
Living a blameless life, living a life with complete integrity does not allow us to swerve catastrophes. All right? It does not disqualify us from the troubles and the sorrows that Jesus speaks about in John 16. In fact, it says this in Matthew 5.45. It says, For he gives, meaning God, sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Trouble finds us. It just does. And we won't know all the answers until we get to heaven. But you know what I really think? I think once we get to heaven, the last thing we're going to be asking Jesus is, why does this happen to me on earth? We're not going to worry about it because we're in heaven. And we're too busy worshiping God and and having this body that doesn't have any sickness or sorrow or guilt or shame. We're not going to be worrying about all that stuff to bother asking those questions. But we need to understand, though we strive to live a holy life, our motivation to live that life is not to avoid trouble and sorrow, it's to please God. And then when those troubles and sorrows come, we'll be ready to face them the right way. It goes on to say this in verse six. It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. This is a very interesting scene that's happening here in the book of Job, happening up in heaven. What we see here, and we need to understand this as we're talking about trouble and sorrow in our life, not just in the story of Job, but for ourselves especially. And this scene paints a thousand different pictures, right? And what is happening here is that there is a a sense or a reality of a hierarchy going on. There is God, and then these angels and Satan are reporting to him, okay? And what I find really interesting is the, is the interaction between God and Satan. Because think about this for a second. Satan has been kicked out of heaven. And now here he is all of a sudden back in heaven. And what we don't see from God is, sound the alarm, intruder, intruder, get him out of here. He just says, hey, what have you been doing? I don't know if any of y'all have ever had someone try to break in your house or break in your house. An unwelcomed person. It is not a fun experience. It is a very terrifying experience. You feel like you have been invaded and all you want is for them out of your house. And here God is having his nemesis, his known and sworn enemy in his house. And God doesn't even blink You know what he does? He said, what have you been doing? Tell me what you're doing. Why? Because God, in no way, shape, or form, is threatened by Satan. Even when it comes to his very presence in heaven, God doesn't blink at the appearance of Satan. And you know what we like to do, sadly, the mistake that we make when we think in terms of Satan and his abilities and his power is we like, him, we, we, we like to make him the equal but opposite force of God, where God is good and Satan is evil. God is love and Satan is hatred and all those things, right? And we make Satan the counter to God. We make him an equal opposite to God. Let me tell y'all something right now. Satan wishes he was the equal opposite of God. 
In no way, shape, or form does he ever measure up to the power of God. In other words, how God loves us, Satan can only hate us a very minute fraction of that. Where God protects us, Satan can only attack us a very small fraction of that. Remember, God kicked Satan out of heaven. There was no battle. The victory is over. He is not on par with God. He is not the equal opposite of God. He is an inferior being to God. And so when we approach our sorrows and our troubles, we need to understand that the person attacking us, the the enemy that is attacking us is just an ant to the boot of God. Okay? Can we just understand that and embrace that? God asked Satan this question. And you know what Satan does? He answers him. You know why he does? Because he knows he has to. When God asks him a question, he had better answer. And so he does. He answers him. And he says, I've been going around and we're going we're to look at what happened. There's, there's a whole thing that transpires that we're not going to get into this morning. But there's a scene that takes place where God says, hey, check out Job. I dare you to try Job. And so Satan does. And we're going to skip to verse 13 of chapter 1. And it says, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Brick one, right in his face. Verse 16, while he was still speaking. So the first guy, the first messenger comes in and he's relaying this message to Job. And before he finishes talking, another messenger comes in and starts speaking over the top of him. And it says, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep. In all the shepherds, I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Brick two. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three hands of uh, the Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Brick three. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed. And all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Brick four. Boom, 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 boom. Right in the face to a blameless and a man full of complete integrity. Brick to the face, brick to the face, brick to the face, brick to the face. And now Job has to answer the question that I've asked all of us this morning How will he respond? How is he going to respond in this moment? Is he going to quit? Say, God, I've done everything right. I'm blameless. I have complete integrity. My reputation is good. In all this, why, God? Why? It's not fair. This isn't right. This doesn't add up. He could say all those things. But this is what he says. Verse 20, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. To worship. In the lowliest of low moments in his entire life, he grieved, but he also worshiped. And I love that combination right there. Because he doesn't put on this brave face and pretend like everything is okay And I can handle it, no big deal, while on the inside he's totally dying. 
He grieves openly, but he does it at the Lord's feet, not to everybody else around him. He goes to the Lord in his grief, and in his grief, he worships. I wanna say this, this morning. We, um, this, is, this might sound strange, but I don't think it is. I'm actually, I think it's pretty awesome. We take very seriously here at Beaches Chapel when we do memorial services. And I believe we do the best. Because what we do here, when we have a memorial service, is we begin every service with worship. And every service, we are committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have left services here more inspired, more fired up for Jesus than I have in many of our church services. Because in the midst of that grief, there is that hope. And when we bring our grief and our misery to the feet of Jesus and we worship him, we're filled with hope and we're filled with love. And I believe truthfully that true saints, the ones that we talk about are not the ones that have memorized the Bible front to back, that give them the biggest tithe checks, come to church every Sunday, don't cuss, whatever. It's the ones who in their grief lift their hands and worship God and say, Lord, I'm hurting, but you are still God and you are the authority and I honor you and I hold you in highest reverence because you are God. And I could sit here and ask why till the cows come home, but with, with tears streaming down my face, I say praise will be my song. Praise will be my song. That to me is the mark of a true saint. Stephen Furtick says, joy is not a feeling, it's a focus. It's a focus, and I love that. And that's what worship is. That's what, that's what Job did. In his grief, he didn't focus on the grief, he turned his attention to the Lord. And he knew that's where he was gonna get his help, that's where he was gonna get his hope, and that's where his joy would be restored. So in that moment where he had to choose, what am I going to do? He chose to worship the Lord. He chose to press in. Isaiah 61, starting in verse three says, God's to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called, check this out, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I want to be an oak of righteousness so bad. Like if, if I get to heaven and God says, hey, there's an oak of righteousness, I'm going to be like, what's up? <clears throat> like, oh, that is, that is an awesome thing to be called. An oak of righteousness. Because oaks of righteousness display not the oak's glory, but the Lord's glory. And so when we continue to get hit by the bricks, but then worship in it, we become oaks of righteousness. So no matter what the storm is, no matter how hard the brick is thrown, we are sturdy in our place and we display the glory of the Lord. Let me tell you something. The world needs us to be oaks of righteousness. That is how the glory of the Lord is displayed. By in the midst of the bricks being thrown, we continue to worship over and over and over again. You know, I say this 
thinking about Job and that choice he made, I don't think there was a lot of, I feel like worshiping right now, you know? We were talking about that this morning with the band after sound check as we were praying. It's about, you know, uh, for, for school here at Beaches Chapel, we just had our Christmas play on Thursday. All, we're on, we only have like three more half days. It feels like the end of the semester is over and we're kind of on break, even though we're, we still have a couple more days. And you have this tendency to just kind of coast you know, and as I woke up this morning, I, I'll be honest with you, I was kind of in that mindset. And um, like, oh God, I'm just ready to be done, you know, and enjoy these next few days off. And he quickly reminded me, no, no, I got work to do today. We have business today because this is the day that the Lord has made. And he wants to speak to every single one of us, we're, whether we're looking forward to Christmas or Christmas break or whatever, or travel plans. He's like, no, 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 today. I have something for you today, whether you feel like it or not. And we have to choose to be ready to receive that. We have to choose. Listen, the hardest part sometimes about getting to church and going to church is going to church. You know, that alarm goes off and you decide, you know, I really don't feel like it. Oh man, I have to tell you all. It's so frustrating sometimes when people are telling you how bad your, their life is and all the struggles. Well, are you going to church? no. I just don't, I haven't really felt like it. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. That's the time the most when you need to be there. If your mind and your heart is saying, you don't feel like going, that's when you should be running to church. And then once you get here, you can put on that garment of praise. And those bricks that were coming, suddenly there's hope. But if we just sit and we wait to feel like worshiping, Oh my goodness gracious. We've been talking about that a lot in this series, the danger of our feelings. Don't let them dictate your presence with God. In church, at home, whatever it might be. Don't allow that. Job in those moments probably like, you know what, Woo! it's Sunday morning, I'm gonna worship. This is my favorite song that the band's playing. It wasn't Sunday morning, he wasn't at church. He had all these bricks just thrown at him and he decided, he made the choice to worship God because God was still on the throne. As much as he had been attacked, God was still on the throne. And that, that's all that we know in those moments, that is enough. I wanna read a little bit of probably my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. And I'm just reading a, a few verses. We're gonna read 12 verses of Job 38, but here's what I want y'all to do. I'm giving you two homework assignments today. The first one is to write how will I respond on a sticky note and put it somewhere or several places? And the other one is to go home and read Job 38. The entire, I think it's 42 verses, something like that. And we're only gonna read 12 because you should get the point. And then we're gonna talk about it. This is, this is what, how God responds to Job after everything he's been dealing with. 38 chapters later, by the way. It says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning star sang from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? 
Nope. I haven't. Show of hands. Who's done that? Nobody? No way. And you know, we can, there, there's two aspects to this chapter. And the first aspect is kind of the obvious one. God is, is somewhat putting Job in his place. And I'll be honest, I, I need to be put in my place quite a bit. Because all of a sudden I start thinking that I was the one that hung the moon. And I was the one that put the dimensions of the earth in their places, right? And so what God is doing here is he's reminding Job of who he is. So I'm God, man. Question me? You see, the thing is, everything that God does for us, y'all, he does out of love for us, not out of obligation. God is God. We are people. But here's the second part to that chapter that we need to understand. He's talking about his greatness, right? And how he created all the earth, did all these amazing things that we can't even fathom. But I believe this is what he's saying in that too. As much as I did all those things, check this out. I love you with that same power. The same power that put the oceans in their place and the stars in the sky and the mountains and the valleys and the beauty of this world that I spoke into existence with that same power. I love you. I love you. So don't forget that. It might feel when the bricks are coming that I'm powerless. I am not. I've done all those things. And all we need to do to remember that, to remember God's love for us in those moments is to go to the cross. To go to the cross. He said, you want to know what I'm going to do? I already did it. I sent my son to live on this earth, to die for you so that we could spend eternity together. And it might be hard, but it's okay. I've overcome the world and I have a spot waiting for you in heaven. I gave up my son for you when I did not have to, but I did it because I love you. Always, 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 we can go back to the cross. We're gonna have the band come up and we're gonna sing that song again. Praise will be my song. And we're gonna sing it in, in faith this morning, especially that bridge. I'll shout out and I will sing of your love for me. Sometimes in the midst of bricks being thrown at us, we have to shout our worship. We can't just whisper it. We gotta break through those, those voices that try and lie to us and say that it's only happening to us and God's forgotten us or doesn't care about us. I want to read this verse that we read last week as well, but it bears repeating. It's so important for us in this season. Isaiah 41, 10. It says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You know, when the bricks are being thrown at us and life is hard, it's, it's amazing how quickly fear starts to come in. Like what God's saying is, look, I'm with you. You might not feel it, but don't let the feelings dictate it. And I'm gonna hold you up, not just with my right hand, but with my victorious right hand. The hand that's, that has victory over every attack of the enemy in your life. God has won you. And he's not about to leave you hanging out to dry. I wanna read this as well. Stand up as I read this. 
This takes your participation. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In other words, Satan can't separate us from the love of Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or for today or any brick thrown at us? Verse 37, no. Everyone say no. no. Come on, y'all. Everyone say no. no. Come on. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, like that same one that was talking to God in heaven that attacked Job, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. No brick. No brick. I know it's hard. Life can be brutal. The bricks can hurt. And it can feel like you're the only one. But God says over and over that no attack from the enemy, no trouble, no sorrow will ever separate us from God's love. He has us. When we turn our lives over to Him, when he, we ask Him to come into our hearts and to be Lord of our lives, He's got us. And every attack from Satan is an attack by an inferior being over our lives. There's two things that you have to understand when you ask the question to yourself, how will I respond? One, I can't do it for you. Pastors can't do it for you. You have to make that decision. We will walk alongside you and pray and encourage you as best we can. But that is a decision that you have to make on your own. The second thing is this, you can't just answer that question on Sunday mornings in church. It has to be an everyday answer that God, in my grief, I'm gonna lift my hands and worship you and praise will be my song. And I will shout out your name because I wanna be an oak of righteousness that displays your glory. And I understand that nothing will separate me from your love. And as hard as the attacks are from the enemy, what do we know? That they're nothing compared to God's love for you. Man, he loves y'all. He loves you so much. I, I, wish, I wish I could explain it. I wish I had the words. I don't. I don't. But the cross proves it. The miracle of Jesus, it changed everything. It changed everything. He loves you. And if that's all you hear this morning, if you're watching online, in your living room, know that he loves you and he has not forgotten you. He is a close God. Someone needs to hear that this morning. He loves you and he sees you and he is with you. Don't give up. Choose him. Worship him. Whether it feels like it or not, you might lift your hand and say, God, I, I, this, is, this is just a physical act. I don't feel anything right now. Do it anyway. Keep doing it. Fall on your knees if you have to. Look, y'all, we got this altar up here. We're gonna open it up this morning as we enter back into worship. God's here. He's in this room. If you're watching online and you feel like you gotta get on your knees, get on your knees right now. 
He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. He loves you. Let's make it real this morning. Don't let grief or the bricks separate you from God because he hasn't separated from you. Press in, dig in. Be that stubborn believer that is not going to be swayed by the feeble enemy. And church, I believe both individually, as you, as you decide to make that choice, your homes are gonna change, your marriages are gonna change, your finances are gonna change, your relationship with your children is going to change. In church, this church is gonna change. We are gonna change together. We are gonna grow and we're gonna make that choice every day. God, I worship you. So we are, we're gonna open up the altar this morning. If you need to come and do some business with the Lord, by all means, come and do it. Let's pray. Jesus, we choose you this morning and we thank you, Father, that nothing the enemy could ever do, nothing the enemy could ever throw at us will separate us from your love. God, we pray your protection over us, over our minds, over our thoughts, over every brick that is thrown at us, God. Teach us, God, in those moments to choose to worship you so that we can be oaks of righteousness. Yes, God, we know that there are sorrows and troubles in this world, but we also know, Lord Jesus, that you have overcome this world. So let that be our confession. Let that be our testimony. Not the troubles and sorrows, but that you have overcome the troubles and sorrows. And God, right now, I pray for every single person in this room and that's watching that have not received you as their Lord and Savior, that they would make that choice this morning. God, that they would not wait to be qualified. There's no such thing. They would just say, Lord, I receive you. I receive your sacrifice. Come into my life. Thank you, Jesus, that that door is always open and it's a simple prayer. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us with a love that we simply cannot explain. Let's worship.